Thanks for reading. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's David. Really good to be here with you. Uh, hello to those as well on the live stream. Uh, great to have you with us as well. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, keep them open at Luke chapter 7. We'll be there. And uh, as we come to hear God's word preached, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word and that you speak to us, um, that you are so clear, Lord. Uh, but we know that um, we need help to understand. Uh, so we pray, Lord, by your spirit, uh, open our eyes um, to see you, uh, open our hearts to receive you, Lord, that we might know you better and love you more. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Uh, well, if you're like me, uh, it's pretty hard to avoid the stories of the Queen this week, am I right? You probably heard a few. I thought I'd begin with one that kind of will get us into the passage today. So I heard a good story about the Queen during the week. Uh, it was from her former protection officer, like her personal policeman, uh, called Richard Dick Griffin. Uh, you might have heard this story. Um, the Queen and, uh, and Dick were out walking in the grounds of Balmoral, uh, in her holiday place, and they came across some hikers from America. They were there on holidays, and the Queen liked to stop and say hello to people that she met out there. Uh, so they did that, but being dressed down like she was with the headscarf and the jacket, they didn't recognise her. So the American, as they do, uh, began to tell them all about their trip and what they're doing, all these wonderful things, uh, and finally asked, um, uh, finally asked the Queen if she lived in the area. And she said, well, I actually live in London, uh, but I come here for holidays. And I said, well, how long have you been coming here for holidays? And she said, oh, about 80 years, I think. And so the cog started to turn. He goes, oh, if you've been coming here 80 years, you must have met the Queen. <laughs> and quick as a flash, she said, well, well, I haven't, but Dick here has. He meets her regularly. <laughs> And the next thing, quick as a flash before they knew it, uh, this guy had put his arm around Dick and wanted to get a photo with him, so he gave his camera to the Queen <laughs> to take a photo of him and the guy that had met the Queen. Anyway, uh, Dick sort of swapped them around and said, take a photo with you know, this old lady too. Um, and so they did, they took a photo with her, and then they left, and they didn't let on about what had happened. And, and the Queen said to Dick, she said, I'd love to be a fly in the wall. Uh, when they show that photo to their friends and they realise who I am. <laughs> I would like to be there too. Uh, but you see, how does this relate? Well, we see this kind of thing happening uh, when people meet Jesus. They miss who he is because he's not the kind of king they were expecting. He doesn't look like a king. Right? And, and we actually see it today in Luke's Gospel. We might have noticed it. Uh, from John the Baptist, of all people, missing who Jesus was. Right? And, and this kind of thing, if it can happen to John, it can happen to us as well. We, we can miss uh, who Jesus is as we read about him in the gospel. And I don't mean, I don't mean missing, you know, knowing who he is in our heads. I'm sure all of us could say, yep, I see Jesus there, Son of God, Saviour of the world, Messiah, got it. Very easy to have that kind of textbook knowledge of Jesus, uh, but for that not really to affect you at all. Right? And so what I mean we miss is we miss the wonder of who he is. Right? We miss the wonder of his, his coming, of his nature, of his compassion, uh, of his power. And we miss the, the central thing that he came to do for us 
in forgiving our sin and just how wonderful that is. Now remember, as Roger said, uh, why did Luke write this gospel? Uh, Luke wrote it so we'd be certain about the things uh, that we've been taught about Jesus. So he carefully investigated everything, talking to eyewitnesses, gathering information, so we would have this certainty about who Jesus is, what he came to do. And so here in chapter 7 is a very clear chapter. It's, it's about who is Jesus. Luke is showing us. Jesus is showing us very clearly who he is. And he's doing that so we might realise that, but also even go further and realise what that means for us, who he is for us. Right, how Jesus is probably so much better than we expect. And so here's the outline for today. Jesus is going to show us, his work's going to show us who he is. And then we're going to see that Jesus is better than expected in a final little episode. So the first point is much longer than the, the second. Uh, but let's begin. So if you're in chapter 7, uh, have a look there. We see these two amazing works. Uh, the healing of the centurion's servant and then the raising of the widow's son from death. Now it appears as we're reading this, we're not supposed to focus too much on those miracles themselves, but on the one who, who does them, on the one who does the works. You see, because these two works are actually, actually uh, mentioned earlier in chapter 4, or they're, they're paralleling with what Jesus has said earlier in Luke's Gospels. Have a look back in chapter 4 here on the screen. Uh, Jesus says here, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And so there's, there's two great works from the Old Testament you can see there. Uh, the prophet Elijah raising a widow's son uh, from the dead. That's in 1 Kings 17. Uh, and then the prophet Elisha healing Naaman the Syrian of leprosy. That's from 2 Kings chapter 5. So it's, it's these two works that are, are being mirrored here in Luke's gospel with the works that Jesus does. So healing of the centurion is like uh, Elisha healing uh, Naaman. Both of them are these Gentile kind of military figures that come to God's prophet for help. So you can see that parallel. And then, of course, the healing the widow's son is like healing the widow's son. So that one's a bit more obvious of a parallel there. Um, now, in the Old Testament, what were these works uh, meant to do? Well, they went to show us that God is working through the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And that was the result of these mighty works. We see that as we read uh, from Kings. So this is after the widow's son was raised by Elijah. She says this. She says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. So that was revealed. And then after Naaman is healed by Elisha, he says this. He says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Right, so those works reveal God's work through the prophets. And so too in Luke, these works reveal that God is at work through Jesus. Okay, so the, the centurion, what do we see from this one? Uh, the centurion, someone had authority over a hundred men, tell them what to do and they would do it. He recognises Jesus has that authority over sickness. 
He can tell it where to go. And he's right. Uh, The centurion's servant is healed. And then the widow, uh, her only son is dead and being carried out to his grave. A very sad scene. Jesus' heart goes out to her in tender mercy and he, he stops them. Just imagine this. Speaks to the corpse. And then the dead man sat up. Uh, It says that in your Bible, the dead man sat up. Uh, If you're at a funeral, the dead man sits up, funeral over, okay? That's it. Go home. Right, but what are these works meant to do? They're meant to reveal God is at work through the one who is doing the works. God is at work through Jesus. And so the crowd uh, make that link, and Luke tells us to make, so we make that link as well. So have a look at verse 16 and 17. Uh, When the people see this, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Right? They they recognise God has come to help his people. And so this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So big news. um, God's at work through Jesus. The news spreads as far as John. John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, you might remember, is in prison. Uh, John was the prophet who prepared the way for Jesus. When he hears the news, he asks a very surprising question. Verse 19, he says, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, of course, John is asking, because he's waiting for the Messiah himself, Uh, The Messiah is is God's king who's going to come and save Israel from their enemies and establish God's eternal kingdom. So great figure. He's he's waiting for the Messiah. But he's not sure if Jesus is the guy. Jesus doesn't look like the guy. You might remember this from chapter 3. This is what John said back in chapter 3. He said, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I, talking about the Messiah, uh, will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John's expecting the Messiah to come in like this blaze of glory, to bring judgment upon God's enemies and bring salvation to his people. And that's... Doesn't seem like Jesus is doing that. He's going from town to town, preaching good news and healing the sick. Um, Jesus is just, he's so much not the guy John was expecting the Messiah to be. uh, Yeah, John was expecting the Messiah to be. And so he's asking this question Are you the one, or should we expect someone else? Such was the trouble John was having with, with what Jesus was doing. Right, so Jesus answers him though, right? Jesus has an answer for him, but it's not a straightforward answer. Um, you might have had this if you've got kids and they come to you with a question for their homework, or you might have been a kid with a question from your homework for your parents and you go to them and say, hey, can you just help me with this question? And you just want them to give you the answer, right? Just, just tell me the answer. And they annoyingly say, no, 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 let's have a look at it together. Let's work this thing out. And you're like, oh, come on, just give me the answer. Anyway, uh, Jesus is doing that with John here. He's not just going to give John the answer. He wants John to see it for himself. Right, so verse 21 and 22. 
This is the answer Jesus gives to John. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So Jesus is he's pointing to his works to show John that he is the one. Right, Jesus is kind of, he's kind of doing here what uh, those, the friends of the American tourists might do when they get home with the photo. Right? They might hold up a picture of the Queen, hold up their picture and say, do you see? <laughs> do you see who you met on your walk? Right, what, what Jesus is doing here, but he, he's holding up a picture of the Old Testament. What, what would happen when God comes to save his people? Right, we, we read one example of that from Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. This is what happens when God comes to save his people. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So Jesus is saying to John, do you see? Do you see the lame walking? Do you see the lepers cleansed? Do you see the dead being raised? There's your answer. My works are giving you the answer that in, in me, God is, has come to save his people. Right, that's who Jesus is. That's, that's what his works show us, uh, show him to be, very clearly. And so then Jesus' final word to John, I think is very telling. So verse 23, have a look, the last little verse that we read. Uh, Jesus says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Or in other words, blessed is anyone who does not stumble because I was not the Messiah that they were expecting. And so he's sort of saying to John, you know, it's not me that needs to change, it's your expectations of me that need to change. You see, the thing that John really got wrong about the Messiah was the timing, the timing of what he would do. You see, the Messiah would come in in blazing glory, bringing judgment and salvation. But first, he's going to proclaim good news to the poor. First, he's going to go to the cross to make atonement for the sins of the world. And he's going to rise again victorious as Lord over all. And the forgiveness of sins is going to be proclaimed to all nations in his name. And, And then comes the end. Right, then comes his return in blazing glory. Right, so it was, it was a timing thing that John got wrong. And so the word to John is, don't stumble on account of me because of your expectations, but believe in me. Right, believe in who I am as I've revealed myself. Right, and so what about us? As we, as we meet Jesus in the Gospels, does he meet our expectations of him? Or does Jesus, he failed to meet your expectations? Right, you might sort of think, you know, if Jesus really were the Messiah, you know, maybe he'd make himself clearer. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd make himself clearer in the ways I want to make him, him to make himself clearer, not in the ways that he did. Or maybe you might sort of think, if he really is the Messiah, 
If he really has this power, he'd make my life easier. I believe in him and, and he hasn't made my life the way I want it to be. You know, or, or just insert any expectation that you have of, of who Jesus should be. Right? Be careful you do not stumble if Jesus is not who you expect him to be. Be careful you do not stumble. Because in fact, he's better than you expected him to be. He's far better. Uh, so believe in him. Right? Believe in him as he has revealed himself. Jesus' works that we read about show us he is God who has come to save us. That is who he is. All right, so final point here, much shorter. Uh, not only is Jesus uh, better than expected, but, but what he has done for us is also better than we expected. Okay, he has forgiven our sins. All right, but it's, it's very easy for us to, to miss that, to miss the central importance of that, uh, and just to want to move on to, to other things. Okay, so the final episode here in chapter 7 is a, is a chance for the reader to reflect on the wonder of salvation that Jesus brings in the forgiveness of sins, to focus again on that. And so it's a, it's a story that we didn't read, but I'll tell it to us, and you've probably heard it before. It's a contrast between two people, between Simon, a Pharisee, uh, between what, what we were told is a sinful woman, and so Jesus, he goes to dinner at Simon's house uh, and this sinful woman comes along as well. Right? And she brings with her this very expensive jar of perfume. And she comes in and she kneels at Jesus' feet uh, and she is weeping tears, wetting his feet. Uh, so drying it with her own hair, because there's no towel around, she dries it with her hair. And then she starts to anoint his feet with this very expensive perfume. And she's kissing his feet. And so it's this very extravagant, right, very affectionate display that's kind of making everyone a little bit uncomfortable at the party. And so Simon, he sees it, he thinks to himself, the, the Pharisee, he thinks, if Jesus really were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, this sinful woman. He'd, he'd know that. And Jesus, of course, does know who's touching him. He also knows what Simon is thinking at this point. And so he says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he tells this parable. Uh, he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Right? Both were unable to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon, he answers correctly, but probably somewhat reluctantly. And he says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And that is correct. But, but now what is the point? You see, the woman, she's like the 500 denarii debtor. Uh, and Simon is like the 50. But the point is not that she had 10 times more sin than he did. But that she realised how massive was the debt that Jesus had forgiven? How huge was it? And that produced a great love in her for the one who had forgiven her. Just, just a little, little side note, you know, love is the fruit of faith. Okay, the, the woman is not forgiven here uh, because of her love, as if we could earn Jesus' forgiveness by the way we treat him. 
No, her love is a result of being freely forgiven by Jesus. And and we say that at the end of the chapter, if you can see it there, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And and what happens to someone when they realise that? Like when, when, when they know their sins are forgiven? Well, this is what happens. It's wonderful. It is full of joy. And sometimes I think it's hard for us uh, to really feel and experience that. It might be easier if we think, you know, this afternoon you go home and the bank gives you a call and they say, hey, you know, Mr. Jones, uh, we're going to, uh, you've got a big mortgage on your house. We're going to cancel that debt. We're just going to let you go. No more payments. You keep the house. Uh, have a nice day. Right? Can we feel that would be good news? That would, that would arouse some kind of joy in us, some kind of love. How much better is the cancelling of this debt? How much better is the cancelling of our record of sin that stood against us? The removal of God's judgment, the receiving of peace with God. Do, do you realise the wonder of that? Have you ever experienced the joy of that, the blessing of having that debt removed? Right, the woman realised that. It caused her to come with, with great love and affection and tears uh, for the one who had forgiven her. And what can happen with us sometimes is that, is that we you know, accept forgiveness sometime in our life, we receive Jesus, uh, but then we put that to the side and, and we move on to the next thing. Okay, Jesus, help me with my, you know, help me with my marriage. Uh, help me now with, with my kids. Uh, give me that job that I want. Save these people that I'm praying for. You know, heal my sickness. Solve my problems. Solve my other problems. Right? And, and, and then maybe if Jesus doesn't then do the things that we expect him to do, right, it can really cause a blockage in our love for him and our affection for him. Because he, he, he's not being the person we expect him to be. Right? Be careful that we do not stumble if Jesus doesn't do the things that you expect him to do for you. Right? When, when what he has done for us is the greatest thing that he could ever do, that we could ever have done for us. Right? Return again, if you're feeling like blocked in your love for Jesus, return again to what he has done in the forgiveness of sins. Right? See yourself as the one who had the 500 denarii debt, because we, we all have that massive debt to be forgiven. Remember that you had that. Remember how unable you were to pay it back. No chance. You were gaining more debt daily. Remember that he has forgiven you. Remember the the depth of that sin, right? The punishment that it deserved. So you might realise how great it is uh, to have it removed, to have it taken away. Jesus has done the thing that we needed most. That is something that can never be taken away from us. What more do we need from him except that? Maybe take time today to to dwell upon that. Maybe take time just to think about the, the greatness of forgiveness of sin. Lord's Supper is a good time to do that. We can remember it then. But even take time through your day, in your prayers, in your Bible reading, to remember what he has done for us and how great it is. Because the more that we see Jesus, like who he truly is, 
Right, the more we're going to see how great it is to be forgiven by him. Right, the more we're going, to, we're going to love him. We're going to love that forgiveness that he brings. You know, the more you'll want to sit at his feet, you know, with, with joy, maybe even with tears, uh, in thankfulness for who he is and all he has done for us. Take time to remember that the glory of who he is and the forgiveness that he brings today. All right, let's pray now. And give him thanks for those things, and then we'll continue.